Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Single Seater Space podcast. Apologies that we have missed last week's episode. There were some technical difficulties, but we are back for this week. So our what was our Saudi Arabian Grand Prix preview will now turn into a Saudi Arabian Grand Prix review as Sergio Perez dominated on the streets. I say I use the term streets loosely on the streets of Jeddah to win uh, the second round of the Formula One Championship. We'll also be talking about some of the things that we covered last week, but you'll never, ever be able to hear, uh, unfortunately, things like uh, F1 Academy, where actually it's worked out quite nicely because the grid was finalised earlier this week, and so we have all 15 drivers announced and ready to go for the season, alongside bits and pieces like 100 Days to Indy, and, of course, this weekend, Formula E race in Brazil. So we will be having a look at that as well. I'm once again joined by Taryn to discuss initially the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. And um, what did you make of it all? Very underwhelming, James. Um, it was similar to Bahrain, where we were all expecting that Red Bull would just go on to dominate. But after Max Verstappen started P15, after having a bit of uh, having some engine difficulties in uh, Q2 on Saturday. Um, I love how Fernando Alonso, at the uh, before the race even started, said uh, Max was going to be P2 by lap 25. And lo and behold, it was a Red Bull 1-2 by lap 25 with Max in P2 and Checo dominating up in front. Um, so uh, it was uh, pretty uh, pretty dominant by Red Bull. It was very dominant. It was. It just felt inevitable. It was kind of like Spa last year, where even though Verstappen started 14th, you just knew, and he took the lead of that race on lap 10. Um, I don't know what it is, because the car is obviously rapid, but I think the fact that overtaking has become so much easier in these new cars just allows for the fact that wherever the dominant car starts, it can literally just slice its way through the grid. Whereas, I don't know, something like Brazil 2021, I feel like whilst that Mercedes was much quicker in a straight line, because it's harder to follow through the corners, it felt more, I don't know, it feels slightly, it definitely has a different feel, less inevitability um, in Brazil 21 compared to when, you know, Verstappen carving through the field. It was, I mean, it was so impressive, so inevitable. Fernando Alonso gave it a good go at the start, but then uh, had to serve his five-second penalty for being out of position in the grid boxes. Something new that we've seen enforced for this year. Um, what do you think of the new enforcement of the rule of being out of position laterally rather than longitudinally in the grid box? Do you think it's a good thing? I mean, this is where we kind of get onto the FIA and consistency. Because um, I love seeing the amount of pictures from 2021 and even beforehand about drivers on the grid spot being even worse than they were this year. I think I remember it was 2017 China. I think Sebastian Vettel on the grid. You could see like half of his car was out of his grid box. And yet he didn't get a penalty that day. Whilst we're seeing Fernando Alonso, the, mu the like, most minor of like centimetres outside of his grid box. Whether that really affects how the quality of his start is really unknown, to be honest. And I, I don't actually think there's much difference. But he got a penalty. Um, it didn't really matter because we had that safety car caused by his teammate. But this is where we're kind of seeing the FIA being consistent. And as much as we saw the Alpine also have the same issue at Bahrain, they received a five-second penalty that day. And I think that's where we get on to a bit of post-race drama, don't you think, James? 
Yeah, I was just going to chuck in before the pro-space drama, because I actually just thought of it. We actually didn't go through it as a talking point. But the uh, the safety car. Was it a safety car? Because Lance Stroll parked his car between the barriers. All they needed was just to pull it a little bit further, using, I don't know, the crane or some marshals. I don't think there was absolutely any need at all for the safety car to come out. Like, they say, we, we talk about FIA competences a little bit, but, like, they say, oh, brilliant. Let's, uh, we have this world-leading technology with all this where we can see where the cars, the transponder, the tracker, all of that, right? The transponder said he was still in the middle of the tracks. They brought out the safety car. But was there not one camera angle, one cameraman, one photographer that said that the car was parked between the barriers, well off the track, miles out of danger? I know Latifi crashed last year there, but, you know, he's not actually on the grid anymore. So I feel like the trouble it would that could have happened to any other driver has now actually disappeared. Like, there was no need for a safety car there, was there? And even if the thing says, oh, look, he's on the track, and they said, oh, we did it just to make sure, but surely there was no need, because it, I don't know if it, it didn't ruin the race, but it kind of took a little bit of intrigue out of it. Maybe it added some intrigue, but then it took some of it away. I, not even for entertainment purposes. It just, it was just unnecessary, wasn't it? Oh, and it was very unnecessary. I mean, yes. You could say Saudi Arabia is one of those high-speed circuits where you have to take that extra degree of safety precaution. But it wasn't even at one of the most high-speed corners. It was just, it was just that the medium speed happened. And uh, I, I, I even believe that um, when the camera on the F1 TV, it panned onto Lance Stroll, he found that gap. And uh, then we just saw the safety card being released. I think we were all just very confused. I mean, we were expecting probably a virtual safety car, maybe Mac, but full safety car? Really? But that really helped Max Verstappen get into P2 as early as he did. Well, yeah, because the, the virtual safety car, could have you could have hoovered that up in 45, 50 seconds, and nobody, because I think the top six had all actually just gone past the pit line, it would really not have affected that many people's races. Um... Uh, it was bizarre because it was we were certainly under safety car conditions for two or three laps, maybe even more. Um, yeah, it just felt slightly unnecessary. It forced certainly Lewis Hamilton. Who else started on the hards? I think Logan Sargent started on the hards, but I might be wrong. Lewis Hamilton certainly started on the hards and then was forced to do 30 laps on medium tyres, which meant he did get past Science, but then had to conserve um, all of that kind of drama. But speaking of drama, we'll go to the, the most exciting beasts of the race, post-race, it wasn't even on the track, um, Fernando Alonso got a 10-second penalty, and then suddenly he didn't. He then tweeted that he was back on the podium before uh, the FIA then confirmed it themselves in an official document about 40 minutes later. Um, what did you make of all of that? Again, do we just think it just needs simplifying for everybody? Like, it was just confusing. Nobody wants confusion. I mean, if we looked at the timestamps, I think it was 9.30 local time we saw Fernando Alonso celebrating his brilliant, brilliant race and getting a podium uh, in P3. And then we saw, I think it was at 10 o'clock, Fernando Alonso receives a 10-second penalty for incorrectly serving his five-second penalty, which was on, like, lap 20 or whatever. And then we see at 1.15 in the morning, local time, uh, Fernando Alonso's podium has been reinstated. He can keep his 100th podium. Well done to Fernando. Um, but this is where we see... Um, the FIA kind of bringing in that rule of, I think they have to decide whether they get the penalty in about 25 minutes or something like that. Whilst in this occasion, 
they required 30 laps and 30 minutes to apply that penalty to Fernando. It just, it doesn't make sense. It really makes zero sense because you've had so much time. You've had, I'm going to call it an hour to decide whether Fernando gets a penalty or doesn't. And it's very, I'm going to say it's very black and white. He either gets a penalty or he doesn't. You don't need an hour to really decide whether that happens. It's almost like it needs to be automatic in the same way a jump start is automatic. Did they work on the car for five seconds or not? You, you, you'd you have these like cool light up lights on the wheel nuts now because of that rule that was changed in 2021 to allow that wheels don't come off after pit stops. It should be automatic. You should be able to see. Because I think it was 2016 Germany, right? Nico Rosberg was serving a five-second penalty for shoving Verstappen off the track. And he's ended up... I think they didn't work on the car until after eight seconds or something. There should be a light or something where you just... It should be all automatic. And I feel like with all the technology that there is... um, I mean, we have sensors on the start lines. We have all these different bits where the transponder works, all the different bits around the track, all the marshal posts, all the bits of technology that we have in the pit lane to be able to be automatic. It should be, as you say, very black and white, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, it was It was unfortunate. I mean, the Mercedes admin took it quite well. Uh, there was a, He tweeted a picture. They tweeted a picture of uh, George Russell holding the trophy. They then subsequently edited it, edited out the trophy and just put P4 um, with George still looking like a happy chappy on uh, on the picture, but um, yeah, again, and w- one more we can move on nicely on to uh, Mercedes. A difficult weekend that turned a little bit more positive. Um, it was tough for them. Certainly, Lewis Hamilton looked very uncomfortable. Um, we talked actually last week in the lead up to this again on the podcast that you're never going to hear about some speculation about whether Hamilton may be sort of checking over his shoulder, looking at other options, perhaps one last gamble in his career. But, um, yeah, a, a, quite, a quietly efficient weekend for Mercedes in the car that they still think is a cruise ship, no? I mean, I think special mention to Mercedes is social media. They were brilliant all weekend, especially after qualifying when uh, Max Verstappen had his little engine hiccup. And uh, it's just Mercedes released on Twitter, well, dot, 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 I believe it was. Like, it is just, it was brilliant. Um, but anyway, um, on to their car. Um, I think Mercedes, they were finding more pace this weekend than in Bahrain. I think that was really obvious to see. But I think really obvious to see was Ferrari. Where were they this weekend? It was really shocking. Because um, I, I generally believe Ferrari might even have the fourth fastest car now. I think they might even be behind Mercedes. Because they were just nowhere. They were just in P6 and P7. They were kind of maintaining a five-second gap to Lewis Hamilton. It's just nothing really happened for the Snuderia. It was really dreadful for them. And I think uh, the cherry on top was uh, during the safety car when Charles's engineer, Xavi, on the radio saying, uh, Hamilton, distance the safety car, line one, accelerate to try and overtake Hamilton. He said that after Hamilton was out of the pit and on the racetrack. Um I think another bit of Ferrari clown moves, if you like. Well, yeah, the list of Ferrari failures gets bigger. And yeah, certainly, I mean, Charles Leclerc's qualifying lap was really, really impressive. He was only a tenth and a half off Sergio Perez. And you watch the onboard. He left absolutely nothing on the track in qualifying. It was scary. Obviously, the uh, the 10 place grid penalty um, after, you know, the problems that he had in Bahrain. Poor guy's got no 
pieces of the engine left after two rounds. But, um, yeah, certainly the problems from last year are still not fixed. The car is certainly hard on its tyres. And uh, they they are really struggling in race trim. That was the thing last year, but it was masked by really good qualifying pace. Now they don't have very good qualifying pace. They're just mid again. They're just kind of battling in the midfield for 6th, 7th. Certainly in qualifying trim, I suspect the car is probably 2nd. But in race trim, they look really poor. Really, really bad. Um, almost, it's not to the same degree because Red Bull were very strong in 2021. But towards the end of 2021, you could definitely see that the Red Bull was set up for track position to qualify better. Um, you look at Saudi Arabia, Max Verstappen's car was much very much set up for qualifying, as it was in Abu Dhabi as well. He put three temps on the field in uh, Abu Dhabi qualifying, but then he was absolutely nowhere for 52 laps of the race or whatever. So certainly that looks how Ferrari are. But yeah, as you say, very, very, very disappointing. And the last thing to touch on, uh, as we spent about half this episode talking about an underwhelming Saudi Arabian Grand Prix after the two thrillers that we've had there in the years before, is their tension at Red Bull. We've seen that... Max Verstappen was very uncompromising with how he dealt with Sergio Perez towards the end of the race. We've seen that Jos Verstappen did not look one bit pleased for Perez. Perez then said, we're here to fight for this championship on Twitter before rapidly deleting the tweet and then changing it to um, oh, whatever, something about oh, being glad to win. And he, he, he didn't have the last sentence about we're here to fight for the championship. Um, Verstappen nabbed the fastest lap point on the last lap to maintain his championship lead. Um, Perez's dad tweeting, uh, putting on Facebook um, the picture of him being really happy for Verstappen in Mexico and Jos being very disappointed for Perez in Saudi Arabia. Is there tension? Because we saw it in Brazil. Is not everything perfect? I mean, last time we saw, I mean, we've always seen tension between Red Bull's drivers. I mean, you could go back to 2010 Silverstone where... Um, that Red Bull gave the upgraded front wing to Sebastian Vettel, and then they took a bit of favoritism on Sebastian Vettel's side of the garage and replaced his front wing with Mark Webber's. Mark Webber actually went on to win in Silverstone itself, and he then celebrated with... Not bad for a number two driver. Exactly. Not too bad for a number two driver. And I think this was time for Checo to say the exact same. It wasn't too bad a drive for a number two driver because his drive was was brilliant. It was actually a really great drive by Checo because we've all seen how much Verstappen was thrashing him around Bahrain. And um, it was just great to see Checo pull away from Verstappen. I believe it may have even been six to seven, maybe even eight seconds at some point in the race. But Checo was pulling away from Max Verstappen. And we know how great Max Verstappen is. He's a brilliant driver and deserves our respect. And I think this was Checo's time to say, hello, guys. It's my turn to get some of the respect now. And um, I think uh, his words on Twitter, I think the, the bit of Jos Verstappen's face when uh, Sergio was celebrating, bit of some frosty war of words, I'm going to call it, a very frosty battle, I think. I've got, I've got two things to say about this. One, does Perez have the ability to fight for a championship over the season the, against Max Verstappen? I'm inclined to say no, but then the other thing is, do Red Bull let him fight for the championship against Max Verstappen over the course of the season? Because at every single time, Valtteri Bottas was allowed to fight for a championship, but after about round four, it was clear that 
May, whilst he may have won the opening round like he'd seem to do every season, he would win the Russian Grand Prix plus the opening round. It happened every year. Is it possible that Perez manages to keep up, scrape bits and pieces here and there? Or is it going to be like Verstappen wins 11 races, Perez wins three, and then there's a there's a smattering of other wins where, you know, fortune doesn't favour Red Bull? It, 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 do we see something like that happening? Or is there a genuine chance that Perez wins seven, eight races this year and really takes the fight to Verstappen? And is he going to be allowed to? I mean, we're only two rounds into this 23-race F1 season, so it's actually pretty mad that we're talking about a potential championship fight between Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. But, um, I mean, Sergio Perez in that Red Bull is very much given Valtteri Bottas vibes. Of um, We know how capable Checo is. We've seen him do such amazing things. But whether he can do that, because it's all about consistency. Consistency is key. You have to go and you have to be fighting for those race wins week in, week out. Have we seen Perez do that yet? No. So, will we see a championship fight? I really hope so. But, unfortunately, I don't think that we're going to see it. Well, yeah, otherwise it's going to be a long season if we don't. Like, it'll be, it will be kind of like a 2020 season where... I mean, we haven't even had that yet. Because at least in 2020, we had some really nice individual races. We haven't even had that yet. Like, the two races have been underwhelming at best. Hopefully, we'll get better. Uh, I don't know I don't know where the ceiling is for Aston Martin. And if Mercedes' really terrible car is this quick, will the one with side pods that they say is coming in six to seven races or the development of the entire car, because it's going to come in bits and pieces, do they have do they have a higher ceiling than Aston Martin? Um, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, after two rounds, um, I don't know. There may be something in Perez's contract that says he, you know, he 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 can't actually go for the championship. But it could be a long season here, lads. We could be in for a we could be in for a rough ride. Um, if there is kind of no intrigue at all throughout the season, but at least there are some bits and pieces. I think the uh, Aston Martin Aston Martin breaking the glass ceiling of the top three is certainly something interesting and a bit of intrigue to show that it can be done and it was certainly fred vasseur that said that um but yeah we uh we will wait and see so moving on from uh from formula one to f1 academy now this the uh the 15 car grid is complete uh we know what car they'll be racing in uh, which is a formula four spec car which means we kind of know where it stands as almost an entry-level single-seater series. There are some talented drivers involved. Somebody like Carrie Schreiner has not raced single-seater since 2016, but instead has had a successful GT career. She's back in single-seaters. What do you make of the whole thing? And do you think that the fact that Formula One is funding it means that there's more chance that it survives and thrives? I mean, the W Series was brilliant. I think we, we all love seeing the W Series, especially when they finally had the W Series running on the same weekend as F1 to get the viewership numbers up. It was brilliant seeing these brilliant female drivers just out there fighting for wins. And um, I think this is the thing about F1 Academy. I mean, when I saw the car specs released, I was, I'm going to admit, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Uh, the top speed of the car is 240 kilometers an hour. Um, like, it's, bit, it's less than a Volkswagen Golf. Um, and the 0-60 time is 3.6 seconds, which is the same as a BMW M5 a four-door salute. Um, so I was a bit underwhelmed at the car stats, but um, where we left off from last week, 
with uh, we're optimistic. We are really optimistic because I think it is quite clear now where F1 Academy lies because um, thankfully we have Sophia Flash doing a brilliant job in Formula 3 at the moment and um, we want to see more drivers like Sophia Flash get into that get into the F1 hierarchy grid if you like um, and uh, you know as we were saying the drivers here are no slouch you have the sisters um, in Amna and Hauda Al Kabaisi for MP Motorsports. So um, Amna was the first Middle Eastern woman to take part in a motorsport test program. She did that after the Diria E Prix in Formula E. And we had uh, her sister, Hamda, was the first woman to take a podium in Italian F4 history. So these drivers are no slouch, and you should seriously go and watch some F1 Academy when it starts. Yeah, and I think that, well, at least the nice thing is, in the same way that the W Series um, started without much. Um, F1 actual participation and I know in 2021 and 22 it then started to appear at actual rounds F1 Academy will be making its debut in Austria where there's plenty of fans hopefully lots of TV audience um, getting full eyes on and the night, the other thing is they are backed up by proper, sing, proper single seater teams which is important I think having the Formula 3, Formula 2 teams not only shows a path that they can then go up after the F1 Academy um, which hopefully will be funded that, and especially for those with talent, you know, into Formula 3 and then into Formula 2 with these teams, um, it shows that there's a strong level of commitment. You know, these are established outfits like Prema, ART, MP Motorsport, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's looking uh, it's, it's looking promising. And I really hope it's something that brings eyes onto, uh, onto a whole fresh batch of talent. Speaking of new eyes onto talent, um, we should probably talk about 100 Days to Indy. The trailer came out a little while ago. We've had some time to take it in. And the nice thing about the 100 Days to Indy is that um, the episodes can be turned around in two weeks. So we will see something in real life. And unlike Drive to Survive, we have to wait until November or, sorry, wait until March for things that happened the previous February. The episodes will be turned around quickly. And I really hope this gets new eyeballs on IndyCar because the racing product is brilliant. But the marketing is not. What do you think? I mean, we all we know how much how great the action is in IndyCar. We've already seen one race where we literally just saw from lap one to lap hundred. It was a roller coaster ride, and um, ultimately, you know, we are, we aren't going to see any IndyCar for a, another couple of weeks now, sadly. But um, this hundred days to Indy documentary series, I think it's a lot better than Drive to Survive because Drive to Survive, it had this kind of Fasky feeling about it where we already knew what happened during the season we already know what's happening and what will happen during the actual series itself but i think in 100 days to indy we aren't going to have that kind of waiting to kind of see what's happening if you get what i mean it's it's a difficult thing to explain but um it's why i think this documentary series is going to be a lot better than draft five yeah and i mean the trailer looks great um the whole kind of production looks cool we, the half of it was from St. Pete. Some of it was from Thermal Club, the preseason test. Lots of it was from the previous Indy 500. It's all exciting. It's all fresh. It's all new. All the drivers hopefully will be involved. It was certainly, at least there was a there was a heavy focus on the Americans at that point. There was a lot of Joseph Newgarden, a lot of Alex Rossi, but also some Scott McLaughlin, bit of TK, you know, bits and pieces like that. 
Uh, I suspect they'll focus on the big storylines. I would be, I would, I would be genuinely shocked if Elio Castro Neves's drive for five was not included. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very much looking forward to it. it. Comes out on April the 27th in America. Hopefully, we will get it very quickly here in the UK and around the world because I think the spreading of it is very important. Sky Sports New Zealand have just penned a documentary on the three IndyCar drivers there as well. Marcus Armstrong, Scott Dixon, Scott McLaughlin. So the fact is IndyCar are getting more rivals, but it needs to, can't just, the documentaries can't just exist for the sake of their being documentaries. There's got to be like a, a purpose. And luckily for Drive to Survive, they got locked down and everyone was sat in their rooms, not doing very much. And the fact that Formula One was the first sport back really, really helped. Um... If that that was key. Uh, so yeah, I hope I hope I hope hundred days to India is a success. And even if it isn't, I'm still gonna watch it. So, you know, it's gonna be great. And that's um, that's something to look forward to. And it just adds another layer of uh, excitement into the month of May, which which is is what just what we want to see really. Um, yeah, looking looking forward to it. So yeah, finally let's move on to Formula E in Brazil this weekend on the streets of Sao Paulo. The track has just been released. What do you think of it? Um, high speed. It look it looks like it's going to be a high speed track. I'm seeing one, two. I'm seeing three straights where we could see some very high speeds and do some heavy braking zones. So I'm hoping that there's going to be plenty of overtakes. Something that. You know, I'm not going to say we didn't see any overtakes at Cape Town last time out, which was a month ago. Um, but it generally looks like we could be seeing plenty of overtakes. Um, I really hope that we see that. Um, another bit of news was that we've got Robin Frines. Uh, he's back after his wrist injury from round one in Mexico. So it'd be great to see him back in the ABT Cupra um, to try and pick up his team from what has been an awful season so far for them. Um, but I think uh, key things to look out for could be Lucas. I think believe it's Lucas Degrassi. It's his home race. You know, we'll get plenty of viewership in Brazil when we see him on the grid in his Mahindra. But um, it looks I'm I'm feeling optimistic for this track layer. I really feel optimistic. Yeah, and hopefully we can actually see the Gen cars going at the speed that they should be. We often see because of the nature of the circuits the Formula E race on. You know, the the cars don't actually get up to the speed that they're capable of. And I know they've been having some brake issues and whatnot. But the, the fact is, these cars are the future, perhaps, of electric racing. Certainly the future of engine development, if we're looking to go all electric. So there's very important bits and pieces that make up these cars. So I think they should have the ability to go as fast as they can Um and race and really provide a great racing product which they often do um but i really think that kind of the series is looking to make that step up now and um yeah i'm looking forward to the race in brazil it should be a good one uh and it's actually on the similar streets to when indycar raced in brazil different track layouts but um the streets of sao paulo should bring in a good crowd and we're very much looking forward to it. Um, next F1 race is in a couple of weeks' time, so we can do a preview next week. Same with uh, IndyCar as well. Texas Motor Speedway on April the 2nd in the evening. 248 laps make the XPL 375. We had a photo finish there last year. Who knows what would happen this year? Another photo finish would be lovely. I mean, don't spoil us or anything with some great racing IndyCar. But, you know, a photo finish would be great. Um, especially because after they repaved Texas in 2021, the races there were dreadful. 2022, there was more grip down. The high line worked. We had a high line last lap overtake for the win. 
where Joseph Newgarden only led one lap. But it's first the chequered flag after 248 laps. I think that's everything we've got time for this week. Many thanks to Taryn for joining me on this week's episode. Again, apologies for uh, last Thursday's episode not coming through. We had a couple of audio glitches. But hopefully that should be all sorted for this week. And uh, we will see you next Thursday. Goodbye.